Hello everyone, great to be with you again. We are bringing our Worship Values series to a close. We've already talked about intimacy, about integrity, kingdom expectation and passion. And today we're finishing off by talking about accessibility. When something is accessible, it means that it's reachable, it's easy to find, it's easy to understand or appreciate. So for example, you might say a place is accessible because you can find your way there, or a building is accessible because you know how to get in, or a book is accessible because you can read it and understand it. And so at its very simplest form, worship that is accessible is worship where it's relatively easy to get involved, to find our way in, how we can join in or take part. Now, like most churches, we are a community made up of different people from different backgrounds with different tastes and experiences and characters and personalities. But when it comes to worship, the truth is everyone is invited to enter in. We don't ever say to anyone, oh, you can't come in or you can't worship with us today. We try very hard to make sure that our worship is accessible to everyone. And by worship, by the way, I'm not just talking about the time in our service when we sing songs together, although that's really important. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. This value of accessibility runs through all of our worship, all of our whole service, in fact. In fact, our whole lives and everything we do. We want to invite anyone and everyone to experience and encounter God's presence for themselves, wherever they are and whatever they're doing. And we do consider ourselves to be scattered servants out in the world, called to help make God's presence accessible to everyone all the time, not just in a particular building at a particular time or in a certain way. And we've always tried to live that out. But it's become a particular focus during lockdown as we've realised just how accessible Jesus really is. You know, worship can happen anytime any place, anywhere, in many different ways. And it's open to everyone because Jesus doesn't exclude anyone from coming close to him. His invitation is for all of us. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Not some of you who are weary and burdened, or a few of you, or come to me, the clever ones, or come to me, the rich ones, or the holy ones. He says, all who are weary and heavy burdened. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what your background is, doesn't matter whether you call yourself a Christian or an atheist, doesn't matter whether you've been going to church since you were a kid or you've never darkened the door of any church, doesn't matter what kind of an education you've had or how much money you earn or how you would define yourself or what you believe. Jesus' invitation to come is for everyone. Galatians chapter 3, 28, Paul says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote those words to a specific group of people. I honestly believe that we can add here, there is no black or white, there is no able or disabled, there is no musical or tone deaf, there are no leaders or congregation. When it comes to worshipping Jesus, we are all one. We are all invited. We are all welcome. By the way, Paul isn't saying that we should eliminate all of our distinctives and personality distinctions and become sort of some sort of homogeneous blob. He's not saying that. He's saying within our unique and brilliant diversity in Jesus, we are united and there are no distinctions. And as we worship him, we are joined together and we are one. And as I said, I'm not just talking about our sung worship here. You know, we can see an incredible sunset. It makes us go, wow. And in that respect, we're all the same. We're all humbled before God's majestic creation. 
any of us can listen to a beautiful piece of music or look at a wonderful painting or read a brilliant story and appreciate the beauty in it and give thanks to God for such an awesome piece of creativity. In fact, every creature and living thing that God has designed has the ability to reflect his glory back. Humans, animals, nature, the earth, the skies, all of creation is made to worship him. Psalm 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Anyone can worship God just by taking a walk in nature. A friend of ours, Brian Dirksen, told us this story years ago about how when he was walking to school with his kids, he would stop and he would look at a, a rose. There's a picture of one just coming up on the screen. And uh, he would just stop and he would pause and he'd go, wow, look at that amazing flower. And he would like, take a moment to look really detailed at, the, at the, 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 the construction of the flower, the petals, and he'd take a moment to sniff it and he'd say to his kids, hey kids, look at this, this is awesome. Listen, God made this and it's fantastic. Look at the detail, look at the intricacy, that's God. And he said that he was trying his best to sort of do this, lead his kids in this, in this little piece of worship. And mostly his kids were saying, yeah, yeah, dad, whatever, come on, let's get to school. And so, um, but he told this story about how he was like, oh yeah, whatever, doing my best. But then later, when his kids weren't aware that he was listening, he would observe them talking to their friends and pointing out the rose to their friends and saying, hey, look at the petals on this and look how intricate they are and smell it, it's beautiful. Do you know God made that? And he would have a little wry chuckle to himself. You see, worship is so much more than what we do on a Sunday morning in church. We've learned that in lockdown, haven't we? We've been finding different ways of tuning in, different ways of connecting to him, different ways of listening for his voice, of bringing our burdens and our worries and our stresses to him, different ways of just simply telling him how great he is. And the story of the Bible is a story about how God has become really accessible to his people, to all people. Through Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross, through the message of the gospel of grace, of forgiveness and love and salvation, we can all get close to God. In the Jewish temple, it wasn't the case. It was only the high priest who was allowed to go through the curtains of the Holy of Holies into this place where he could meet with God face to face. One high priest once a year. But when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was torn into symbolically opening up the way for every single one of us to come close to God. The writer of the Hebrews puts it really well in, in chapter 10. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And the, that writer goes on to say, you know, let's let's not give up. Let's crack on. Let's come into God's presence and, and live this life. And so whoever we are, whatever we've done, Jesus has made it possible for us to get close to God and to worship him and to encounter his presence. And that's not just us, not just the ones in church. That's anyone and everyone. So if you're watching today and worshipping Jesus is a new experience for you, if you wonder about whether or not this God stuff is really for you, whether it's available to you, I promise you that it is. When we think about our worship being accessible, we're looking to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to enter into God's presence. And there are so many ways in which that can happen. So with the understanding that worship is about so much more than our Sunday music slot, I do want to talk a little bit about our public worship at Winchester Vineyard and how it is that we try and make that accessible. 
possibly more than any of the other values that we've covered, this one has some really big implications for our worship leaders. And all through this series, we've been inviting different members of our worship leading community to contribute. And now you're going to hear from two of our members. We're going to hear from Tim and from David. So over to you guys. Hello. So for me, accessibility in worship means that together as a church, we are led into the presence of God to glorify him. Uh, this can be done through a range of styles and songs, such as hymns, old songs, led together through new songs, songs for children and families, and songs that allow for space and reflection, um, so for personal adoration towards God, and for uh, new Christians and people who are new to the faith, there are songs that are easy to understand and follow so they know exactly what we believe about God. What accessible worship means to me is ensuring every single person that comes to church on a Sunday morning is free to join in, free to understand, to encounter God during our worship times. For me as a worship leader, this can be really quite tricky. Some people just don't like singing. Some people don't like music. Uh, some people may find it tricky to understand all the words that we're singing. So for me, from a worship leading point of view, um, I think about the kinds of songs that I'm choosing. Uh, I think about when to leave space in the worship time, when to just leave space for people to, uh, to meet with God by themselves, to leave space uh, for new songs to be sung for people to sing out in ways that they want to instead of the ways that I want to. Um, it's trusting the spirit to lead me um, to notice how people are engaging in worship and making sure that there aren't people on the edges, on the sides that uh, that are not connecting. And it can be challenging, but it's really important. Thanks, guys. It's great to get a bit of insight into the role of a worship leader there. I hope it helps all of us actually to understand just a little bit of what's involved, because creating spaces that enable a diverse range of people to worship together can be quite a tricky thing to do. This is actually where the idea of liturgy comes from. Now, you might think that a contemporary church like Vineyard perhaps wouldn't use a word like liturgy. Perhaps that word is more associated for you with traditional forms of worship involving lots of praying and words and speaking out loud. But actually, the word liturgy derives from a Greek word, which means the work of the people or the ministry of the people. It literally just means the form of worship that a church uses. And so contemporary churches like Vineyard have a liturgy just as much as perhaps more traditional ones. We have our form of worship and our liturgy tends to involve a set of songs that are chosen for the purpose of inviting the whole church to participate in worship together. Our aim is that as much as possible, we want to remove obstacles that would stop people worshipping and at the same time create as many pathways as we can that do help people enter and engage. Now, we know that, you know, not everyone arrives at worship ready to express their raw vulnerability straight from the start. You know, we're all coming from a different place, from different emotions and different experiences. There's a journey involved here. And the journey of worship usually starts with something we call a call to worship. Songs that reawaken our common purpose. Songs that remind us who God is and who we are and why it is that we've come to worship him today. And then 
we gradually move inwards and we begin to be able to remove some of those protective layers and be a bit more vulnerable with God and with each other through our worship. And that process takes time and it takes trust and that comes with relationship. And people who've never been in a church environment before might find that a pretty intense or strange experience. And so we always, always need to have guests in mind when we plan our worship. We need to be aware of those for whom this is perhaps a little new or different. And we need to make sure that we're being welcoming at all times. And our worship leaders have to be really mindful of this. To use an analogy, worship leading is a bit like driving the lead car in a convoy. You know, the, the lead person needs to take us off in a direction and head off confidently so we know where we're going. But at the same time, they need to keep their eyes on the rearview mirror and make sure that they don't get out of sight of the people behind that they're leading. And that's quite a skill to be going forwards and then checking back. And we make sure that our worship is accessible and that carries some of the most practical challenges. And this isn't a training session for worship leaders, but I do think it's important that all of us get just an idea of what it is, what is involved in planning and leading a worship set and why we do things the way we do. You see, leading worship requires some musical skills. It requires a confident vocal lead and some instrumental backing, which helps people feel safe as they sing. Musical style and arrangement are key factors. And when we're all together, so is the volume. One worship leader I know talks about having a Goldilocks level on the volume, somewhere between too quiet and too loud. Um, it's probably different for every person, but we aim for somewhere in the middle. But really, planning worship is mostly to do with thinking about and choosing songs. There are four things that we think about. The first is familiarity. Do we know the songs? Does everyone know them or do most people know them or are they easy enough to pick up? We do aim for a well-balanced diet of songs, some new and some familiar. And as well as the songs that everyone is singing around the world, which are great to join in with, we also want to sing the songs that come from our own church family. So we include vineyard songs in the mix because that's part of who we are and who God's called us to be. We also think about musical keys. You know, can we all sing the songs that we're singing on a Sunday? We do our best to stay within a comfortable vocal range. And again, that's more of a challenge. Sometimes, you know, a particular singer or worship leader has such an amazing voice that the way that they record the song it enables them to do something like, for example, an octave jump. They can sing the words low down here and then they can sing them right up there. An example of that is that song, Christ Alone Cornerstone. You know, if you listen to that, you'll hear them sing Christ Alone Cornerstone. And then you'll hear the worship leader go up, Christ Alone, which is great because they have a great voice. But we can't all match that. We can't all do that. And so we just need to think about range. And that's something else that our worship leaders think about. Another thing that we think about when we put songs together for a worship set is progression, how the songs will fit thematically and how they will lead us deeper into intimacy. I mentioned the temple in the Old Testament. And as you went deeper into the temple, so you got closer to the presence of God, you went through the outer courts and then through the inner courts and then into the main sanctuary. And then, as I said, into the Holy of Holies. And based on that model, John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Church and was himself a musician, described something which he called phases of the heart, five phases on a journey of worship that really articulate what it is to move towards God's presence in a really meaningful way. He talked about a call to worship, which I've already mentioned. He talked about engagement, you know, expressions of love and de declarations of truth. He talked about expression and how it leads on to loving and intimate language. It might mean meditation, it might be confession, it might be seeking restoration. 
And then he talked about a phase called visitation, or you might call it breakthrough, which isn't something we can do. It's something that's a byproduct of our worship, a zenith moment, perhaps, a time when we expect God to visit us and to meet us. And sometimes that happens in a particular moment. Sometimes it's a more of a general sense. But it's that sense that, wow, we've worshipped and we've come and we do experience something of God's presence. And then fifthly, John talks about generosity and about the response to our worship. We don't just come in and meet with God and stay the same. We're always changed. And so there's always an outflow. There's always some sort of giving, the giving of our lives, the giving of our money. Often we have our offering after our worship. And because it's symbolic of a response, God has done this for us. We have encountered him and our response is to give of our money or our love or our hospitality or our compassion or our lives. Now, we don't follow this model to the letter uh, every week, but it's a very helpful way to describe the, the worship journey. And it's something that we're very mindful of as we plan the progression of the songs. And a skilled worship leader will do this in a way that it just flows and happens naturally without us even being aware of, oh, moving from this step to that step now, it just kind of flows. But that's just an idea of how these things fit together. And the last thing we think about when we're thinking about songs is language. Can we understand the things that we're singing? Do we use words which are familiar with most people, especially words that include guests who haven't been to church before? Now, I don't know if you know this old hymn. It's an old hymn called Thine Be the Glory. And many years ago, I was a primary school teacher and I worked in year six, which is 10 and 11 year olds, um, in a Church of England school. And so as part of our curriculum, every sort of term or so, we would go down to the church and we would have a service there. It was a lovely church and the vicar was lovely and it was really well liked by the kids. It was quite a traditional form of worship. But, you know, because I was one of the musical ones, I got to have some influence in the different songs that we'd sing. And I always tried to make sure that we did something that the kids could engage with. But one time it was Easter and we were going to church and we were going to sing this hymn, Thine Be the Glory. I don't know if you know it. It goes like this. Thine be the glory, risen conquering sun. It's a great hymn with fantastic words and a brilliant tune. Actually, the tune is really old. It's by George Handel, an old British, famous British composer. Anyway, I thought, well, I'll just go through the words of these songs with my the children in my class, I'll just teach it to them before we go to the church so that they know it. And I started to go through these words line by line. And I started to say, right, who knows what this means? Thine. Well, that's a funny word to start with. Thine be the glory. Risen, conquering son. Are we talking about conquers? You know, endless is the victory. Thou or death has won. Well, who uses the word or? And I had to explain, you know, in quite detail, that means over, but it's just a funny way of saying it. And, and as I went through these angels in bright raiment, rolled the stone away, line after line, I realised that this word, this language was going right over the heads of these young people. And I had to work very hard to try and explain it to them so that when they went to church and sang it, it would be some sort of a meaningful experience for them. And for me, that was quite a moment in my life. How I was thinking, how are these young people ever going to know and understand the amazing truths of Jesus and what he did for them at Easter if we expect them to understand and relate to it with language like this? And don't get me wrong. I love that hymn. I think the language is poetic and it's beautiful. But in that context, it's just not accessible. And for me, that experience defined much of what I did for the next 15 years of my life. Joe and I led children's ministry. And as part of that, we wrote and produced quite a lot of worship songs and albums for children. And our goal was always to create music that helped young people engage with the truth of God with a language and a style that was accessible to them. 
and would help them encounter him for themselves. So I wrote songs about Easter, but I never tried to make them use language like that. Now, I don't do very much children's worship these days, but as a pastor and sometimes a worship leader, mainly working with grown-ups, I have the same driving goal. There are so many people who I want to engage with God and I want to know something about his love and his truth and what he thinks about them and how much he loves them and what he's done for them. And when they come to church or even when they watch online, I want to be able, I want them to be able to engage with those, with that truth through the songs that we sing. And the last thing I want is language that's going to put people off. And that's a tension because in the Bible and even in church history, there's some exquisite and beautiful language which really captures something of the majesty and something of the beauty and the character of God. But at the same time, I want our worship to be accessible to everyone, not just to people who've been in church for years or people who've studied the Bible in depth. And so sometimes our songs include language that only makes sense if you know something about the Bible and the metaphors that were written 2,000 years ago. For example, something like we might use a phrase like the Lamb of God, or we might use a phrase like wineskins, old and new, or something like that. There's real tension here. But that's okay, because values always have to be held in tension. And as I said, this value of accessibility is the final one that we're going to be looking at. Actually, it's most likely the one that will come into conflict with other values. I've already mentioned the tension between accessible language and majestic language and you know, really well-known songwriter Matt Redman, he argues that there should be some words reserved for God, words that help to describe the majesty and otherworldliness of God's character and paint a picture in worship that takes us outside of the day today, outside of the ordinary. And I have real sympathy with that view and, you know, to an extent I really buy into it, but I have to hold that intention with the fact that I want guests to come in and relate to our worship. And so sometimes we just have to use those language, that, those words, use that language, but explain it. And that's okay. That's holding values in tension. You know, there can be tensions between accessibility and integrity or passion. You know, as we're in worship and we're really pouring our hearts to God out, the chips are down and we need to tell him how hard it is and how tough it is. And there's emotion and it's a bit raw there. And we've got that tension because can you imagine somebody coming to church, looking at that and thinking, wow, that's a bit full on, you know, even though some of us might not be feeling it. There's a song For example, there's a song called Your Love Never Fails by Jesus Culture, and it has this line in it. You make all things work together for my good. Now, that's a biblical line and it's true. But depending on where we are in our life circumstances, it might not feel very true for us. And so sometimes when we sing that in worship, we have to make the decision that we're singing this as a declaration in faith rather than something that we're experiencing right now. And that as that that when we look at God's larger purposes for us, we will see these things working out and we will know that all things will work together for our good. But if you're someone who's living the rough end of your story right now and you don't have that experience to draw on, then that's going to be, you know, that's going to feel a bit harsh going into church and having everybody sing. Everything's fine. Everything's going to work together. That's what it might feel like. You know, this is just an example of holding values in tension. You know, another example is some of the language of beauty and intimacy that that we use sometimes in our worship. You know, isn't he beautiful? Isn't he wonderful? You know, we're in an intimate space. We're feeling close to God. We're halfway down that journey. We're pouring out our hearts and our lives and we're telling God that we love him. And and as that and, and for some people, that might just feel really awkward or a bit odd. You know, they might feel that kind of emotion. What What's that doing in church? And that's the tension of accessibility versus intimacy. 
And these tensions are real and we don't always get them right. But that's what we have to do, holding them in tension. And sometimes we might veer a bit one way too much and a bit the other way too much. But holding the line between values is a real mark of maturity. Being able to accept that there are two potentially opposing views and that we can hold the line between them is how we grow up. We accept that we don't have all the answers and that God is still good. That's the reality of the kingdom of God. That's the mark of a mature disciple. And we can hold these worship values in tension too. I hope this series has been encouraging and challenging for us. Although we're in lockdown, there's been so much to explore and think about around our worship values. Remember, it's not our practices that are important. Practices can change. They've had to change. It's values that are important. And so as we draw to this series to a close, I want to remind you about intimacy. You know, however you're choosing to worship, make sure that you eyeball Jesus. I heard that expression from somebody. Uh, I loved it. Eyeball Jesus. Choose to stay close to him. Make sure that we're operating with integrity, that we're real with God. We're being real with God about where we are and that we're living out our worship beyond just the singing time. It's in our everyday decisions. Make sure that we're aware of kingdom expectation. We're expecting God's presence to be with us when we when we when we give ourselves to him. And make sure that we're thinking about passion. We're choosing to worship God no matter what we're feeling. And then make sure that we're thinking about accessibility, the fact that everybody gets to join in. And so I've just got three takeaways from this talk today, three things that I want to encourage us to do as a result of this uh, accessibility and worship talk. The first one is just to show our appreciation and thanks for our worship leaders and just honour the way that they lead us week after week. They put all this time in preparation in really thinking and praying through the songs that they choose and the journey of our worship and that's particularly challenging in lockdown when they're not even in the same room as us half the time and they have to record these things at home. Michael and Laura have done that this week and in a moment we're going to be going into worship with them. Just so grateful for all of you guys who lead worship for us and, and how valuable it is to us as a church. The second thing I want to encourage us to do is to is to think about coming to worship being prepared. You know when we gather whether it's at home or in the building you know, let's come ready and prepared for the journey. Preparation might be as simple as just talking to God for a moment, taking some time to just quieten ourselves down. Might be reading the Bible to remind ourselves why we're here. If it's possible, show up ready for worship. I mean, imagine having a date with someone you really loved or an important appointment with somebody that you really valued. You'd want to get there early and be ready and be in a good frame of mind, right? I mean, surely not just out of respect for the person, but because the meeting or the encounter will be more meaningful and more purposeful. And I promise you, it's the same with worship. When we show up ready, you know, we're going to get we're going to make that journey quicker. We're going to get closer and stay closer for longer. So come prepared. And the last thing is to extend the invitation. Remember, as I said, that Jesus is inviting us to invite others to come and be close to him. He said all who need to come be with me, all who are weary and tired. And why don't we think about how we could invite someone to church in this season? It's actually never been easier than now. If you're online, it's simply the click of a button, a share on Facebook, a little comment, a little word. You know, as a church, we exist for the people who haven't joined us yet. We exist for the people who are looking to meet with Jesus. 
And we have an opportunity even now in this season to invite friends or family or work colleagues to come and join the party. You know, why don't you just say to someone, our church is online this week. Join us if you like. Or why don't you check out our church? And remember as well, we're not responsible for anyone's yes or no. That's not the point. We're responsible for the invitation. And just one last thought about inviting. It's nearly Christmas and we are going to have a carol service. If we possibly can, we're going to have it in the venue, but we are definitely going to be having a carol service online. And we'll give you details, exact details in the next couple of weeks. But this is a brilliant opportunity to invite people to come to worship with us to express this accessibility value. You know, we'll be inviting people, people who may not normally go to church any time of the year, to come to a service where we're going to sing songs of worship that they will probably be familiar with because they're tunes and words that they'll probably know, Christmas carols. And they'll probably enjoy joining in from home. What an opportunity. So just be thinking and praying, Lord, who can I invite to be part of the worship journey of our church? So look, we're going to worship right now. Let's be quiet. And Michael and Laura are going to be leading us. They're the ones who today have uh, prayed and recorded, actually, and put together the worship journey for us as a church. Why don't we prepare our hearts and prepare ourselves to go on that journey with them? Why don't we just take a moment and invite God's presence to come and be with us right now? Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We thank you that we have the freedom to worship you. And we thank you that because of Jesus' death on the cross, we have accessibility to the Father, accessibility to the Holy of Holies. We can come close to God. Jesus, we thank you that by your blood and your death on the cross, we are free and we are saved. And now in these moments, Lord, would you come And would you help us to worship you with everything we've got? Would you help us to give of our hearts and our minds and our lives to you again? As we sing these words, may it not just be our words, may it be our hearts and our bodies and our whole lives. We give ourselves to you today. Lord, as we worship you, come and meet with us, we pray. But Lord, even if you don't meet with us, we're still going to worship you because you're so worthy of our praise and worship. And we give of our hearts to you now. Amen.